My name is Jesse Hajulip, and I make drawings and paintings and some sculptures. And I generally focus on um, social issues or social injustices um, that I feel like need to be have closer scrutiny upon them. And um, so most of my work is kind of a therapeutic way of dealing with like these topics that go through my mind constantly. Well, when I was like in eighth grade, I, I got introduced to graffiti because um, I had moved to California from Colorado and um, graffiti really um, resonated with me because I, I, I was a really angry kid at that point, and um, I saw graffiti and vandalism as a way to, of like coping with these this anger that I was going through. I was I was uh, like instantaneously drawn towards it because I, I saw it um, from the train when I was I was I would take the train from Santa Barbara to Flagstaff, Arizona, and we would go through the L.A. River. And that was my first exposure to graffiti was the LA river. And I was like, what is that? I'm doing that, you know? And for me, it was, um, I was, I was already becoming like politically aware and, and I was starting to like think about human rights. I didn't really realize it at the time, but like in retrospect, I, I, I figured out that that's what I was going for. And so my initial graffiti was just like statements about different things that I was already coming to have issues with, with like money and power and, and feeling um, like I would, cause I was already starting to get um, fucked with by the police even, you know, and like illegally searched and this and that. And so I, I was starting to kind of deal with these things. And so it was like a protest to me. At, at that age, even. I think I was like 13, 14. Oh, initially I started just using like markers, like whatever I could get my hands on. Um, and then it's, um, it's funny because I didn't have, I didn't know anybody that did graffiti when I first started. Like I had, I had no exposure because I had moved from this really small town in Colorado to Santa Barbara. And so I was like a fish out of water. I I didn't know anybody. I had no friends and I didn't even know how to relate with anybody. And um, so I was like forming my, reforming my own identity. And it took, I was like already a year deep into doing graffiti before I met a graffiti artist, yeah. like another one, you know? And so I was kind of teaching myself the ropes, like, and I was just toy as fuck, you know? And, um, so I eventually like met another graffiti writer and then another, and then we started a little crew. We started, I, we would just steal all of our paint like back then. Cause that was right when they had first started doing the cages that, that, 
they keep the paint behind now. Mm-hmm. So we were like on like the threshold of that. Like we we were stealing it and stealing it, but then they they put the cages in, so we had to figure out new new ways to steal it. Um, like we could like break into the cages. Like it was crazy. Like <laughs> it was it, we were on some shit. It was dope. Uh, we had this whole like track of stores that we would go. We would go to Michael's first and steal. And then we go to this like um, auto body spot and steal. And then we go to the Kmart or whatever. We had this whole like route of like just racking. It was dope. And I haven't thought about that in a while. Like still one of my very best friends, this guy Gustavo. Um, he he doesn't write graffiti anymore, unfortunately, but um, he was just like one of the most like naturally talented graffiti writers I've ever known, like artists in general. And um, he was pretty new to graffiti at the time as well. He'd been doing it a little bit longer than I had, I think. Mm-hmm. And there's this other dude I won't say his name, but um, he was a lot more experienced than the both of us. So he put us onto this crew, and we were like looking to him for guidance. And um, the first night that we all went bombing together, we got chased by this truck and um, he got all shook and like just boned out. Like he, he took out on us and we were both just like, what the fuck? Like that's our guidance, you know? And he, he quit doing graffiti that night. He was like, I stopped. And we're like, what the fuck? Like this is like our OG that we're looking up to. And he just boned out forever. Quit graffiti. So we just had to like teach ourselves from there. I could rent. I have so many stories. Like, but that was like the beginning. That was like, like, like. So Gustavo and I just kept going and going and like, we had to, we had to, we had actually had to drop that crew because that dude that put us onto that crew, he didn't tell us, but that was an old crew that had already existed. And so the dudes that had already been in that crew like no you can't do that shit so we had to change it so we started our own shit and that started to pick up in santa barbara and like a lot of people started getting onto the crew it was just fun stupid young shit you know (laughs) but i but i got like the the basis for me was always like a political act like that that's what i thought i was doing Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it was like it was always like a statement or a political act and i thought i was being an activist I mean, it took me a really long time to realize that, like, what I was doing wasn't adding to the greater good through this act of vandalism. It was just, like, it was affecting, like, the lower, like, working class, you know? Like, the lower class, lower working class. And it wasn't fighting the man like I thought it was. When did you, know? when did you um, start figuring that out? Like, how Well, that's embarrassing. It took me way too long. I don't even want to say how old I was, but it was like way too deep into the game to be really excusable because I was just like, I was really in that mindset of like, nah, I'm like, fuck the system. I'm, on, I'm doing something for the greater good. And then I like had this realization like, no, I'm just writing my nickname on my neighbor's like house. You know, and I was like, how is that, like, how is that adding to the greater good or, like, doing this, like, political act, you know? Yeah. Um, It just didn't add up to me. And, I mean, I'm still, like, I'm still obsessed with graffiti. Like, completely, that's, like, that's mainly, like, what I think about, like, every day. And I still am, like, compulsively catching tags on 
everything like in my, on my desk, you know, but I, my draw to do vandalism has changed. Like I don't have that draw to do that, that same sort of vandalism. Now, mm -hmm. now I try to do more like politically based um, stuff that like is talking to a greater audience. Cause I also thought that like my audience was larger than just like, but I just realized it was like just other knuckleheads you know what I mean? That like, we're just going to fight me. A few people I know, they call it a pissing contest. And like, it really, really generally is that. I think that there are some dudes that are doing traditional graffiti that are really on point with it and they handle it in a good way. There's this guy, uh, Read Books. He's, I think he's from Brooklyn, but he does some really dope stuff. And it, it's just, he puts simple messages like read more books. It's really cool, really simple, and really stylistic. Like, he's, he's like, super on point with it. Um, but my own personal vandalism is kind of, like, like, gravitated away from, like, the traditional stuff I was doing with, like, spray paint and markers. But I still am in my cruise, and I still put it up, but it's just changed a lot, you know? Like, I can't stop doing graffiti ever, but it's just... It's just evolving into something different now. What I always hold myself true to is like my visions. And um, I, I don't let like whatever is coming up in my life, like sacrifice those visions. Um, so if it's a gallery or if it's this or that, like I, I stay true to those. And um, I like the gallery platform because it, it it's just another audience to speak to about these like social issues. And so it, like, I hope that it'll just um, expand on the cause that I'm trying to bring attention towards in the first place. And, but where, where it's tricky is um, I don't, I just don't really identify with a lot of different artists that are, that are in the same genre as me because um the, the, I'm like clumped in with like street art, but I don't really identify as a street artist because most of what's identified as street art I see now is just bullshit. Like I don't really, I don't feel it. Like a lot of people in this game like haven't earned their stripes. Mm -hmm. And like I've definitely put in work for like over 20 years like doing vandalism and there'll, there'll be kids in there that are like, they'll get, just, they'll get into it because it's a trend they'll get up on the street for maybe a year or two and then get a gallery show. And it's just like, you didn't earn your stripes, homie. Like, <laughs> but so it's weird. It's a weird space to be in, you know? I think it's really important. Like, I try to, like, stay out, like, active in the street when I can. It's changed a lot, though. I'm a father now. Mm -hmm. um, I have more to think about. But I do make an effort to stay active in the streets because it's really important to me. I really like the, the medium of, of wheat paste and the posters because of the history behind it. There's, um, it's like a, it's a really old tool used in protest. Um, like it goes way back. Um, just people would use like any means necessary to like push their cause and their protest. So like people would do their propaganda, um, like, 
political propaganda through that medium. Like, I don't know exactly how far it goes back, but it goes back like, like really deep into history. And so to me, like just that medium itself is a, is a tool of protest. And so that, that's why I gravitate towards it, you know? Well, it all starts with, I call them visions. Cause like, I'll just, I'll have these like glimpses of different ideas that'll come together. And it's not always at the same time. So I'll start a new, like with the prison stuff, it, it took years of building this concept, you know, and it started slowly. And then like, after I figured out um, the bull metaphor, the, the metaphor for the prisoners, like it started um, building from that. Like I first had the, the, the concept of the bull um, being like a, the prisoners being like livestock and then um, putting the butcher marks onto the bull, but it made it, it was about like being them being like a commodity. Um, and then the tattoos like um, that came along with it are just like part of the identifiers of the gangs and, and the, the strife that, that goes on in, in the prisons. And then the vultures came up as, as the vultures are wearing um, hunting masks. Um, and so all these, these like, ideas just slowly build and build and like I'll just write them down as they come. Um, and then also I do a lot of research too, like just like reading about the, the prison system. I watch a lot of documentaries just like, so this stuff is like really um, terminology and slang and stuff like within, in the titles, within the, the tattooing and then with the, the skull carvings, like I, I'll do like slang and stuff and, and different tattoos um, and references like, uh, like that I carve into the actual bones, um, the bull skulls and the jaw bones. And I actually, I just got a wolf skull I'm going to do. Whoa. Um, yeah. It's going to be crazy. It's a, it's a beautiful skull. And so, yeah, so they, they just build upon each other. Um, and then I'll do like countless hours of like researching imagery for reference. Mm -hmm. And then I make collages from those reference. And then I draw from that. Um, and then those evolve into pieces and to stuff I put on the street. The, so the drawing is like the, the well, the, the, the visions are the, the foundation and then the drawings and then the street and the paintings. Do you, kind of do you always try to get up on the street before you show stuff in a gallery just to like bring it to the masses? I try to, I, I mean, my, my drive is to constantly stay active in the street. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not always that simple, like because where I'm, where I'm based at right now, there's, there's not. I'm like in upstate New York, and there's just not that much to get up on right now, um, out here, and it's just a pain in the butt, like going to to Brooklyn to get up. Like so, I'm trying to move to Brooklyn, and so it'll be more of like a consistent thing. Because I've gotten all the spots where I live, mm -hmm. all like the the worthy spots, and so it's just kind of like ah. What else am I going to do here, you know? Um, so I'm really hungry to do it. But also, right now, it is fucking freezing out here. So it's not like California, you know? Like, it's a whole different game here. So I, I don't have, like, this thick New York skin. Like, I, I get cold hella easy. <laughs> so I'm, like, a leisurely, like, Californian, like, trying not to 
turned into an icicle out here, you know? <laughs> um, so when I get to Brooklyn, I'm going to be a lot more active. I'm looking forward to that. Um, hopefully within this year, I'll be there. And Because when I'm in, like, I really thrive in city environments. And, like, I'm just, because I'm, no matter what, I'm constantly looking for spots. Just, like, unconsciously, you know? Like, it's just always looking for spots. And so when I'm surrounded by it, I'm like, oh, I got to get it, got to get it. And so I'm really looking forward to, to being back in Brooklyn. Um, that'll be good. Yeah, totally. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, well, let's talk. I want to kind of rewind a little bit, if you don't mind, and get a little yeah. personal, not too personal, but I want to ask okay. you about, like, um, you growing up in your family dynamic and being in Colorado. And I know that you kind of grew up near like Navajo nation and just yeah. like, um, what was your family dynamic and how did that shape some of your political beliefs? Okay. Um, well, that's, that's a really good question. Cause that definitely that, that surrounding area really kind of turned me into who I am. Like, now um because my brother um he was adopted when i was two and he was six weeks and he's black um i'm white just for everybody's information um but he was the only black kid within three counties um so there was just nobody for him to identify with and there was um colorado i've heard is like the whitest state <laughs> in the nation like the most white people per capita or whatever there was a lot of racism towards my brother growing up um it was sickening like he was in fights like constantly and then i would get into fights with kids calling him the n-word and um it was really troubling and it it was after at a certain point um i got sick of white people and i and um i just identified with like i just started hanging out with the navajos in the youths like so for a for a while for a stint there i was racist against white people it was this weird like place to be in where i was just like man white people suck you know and um and my native friends were just amazing like they were they were like the strongest like most beautiful kids like um I had ever been exposed to and um but then we moved to california and, and then i was like a fish out of water and and um and luckily like my brother had more of a community there and then i was just like oh like <laughs> what what where are all the Navajos? And there was no Navajos. And so I like mainly gravitated towards hanging out with uh, Mexican kids. And um, But then like I got kind of over my racism after a while, like I was, or my own like kind of self-loathing, I guess, of, of like, because uh, white people were more exposed to minorities in California. And so it wasn't, the, the people weren't as racist or at least like outwardly as racist as Colorado had been. Yeah, so it was definitely very eye-opening to me. Um, and I, I think I had a lot different experience than most white people in this country. Like, I got to see racism, like, for what it was through somebody I really, really loved. Like, that was my baby brother. And 
so it was a very unique experience. You know, I haven't met many people that have gone through similar things as I have. And, um, but I, uh, it's hard to say like, cause I, I really appreciate like that I was able to experience that, but I wish I could have given my brother like a better childhood. You know what I mean? I wish he could have had a better experience and like, I wouldn't have had to see that racism, you know, um, or him to have like gotten the, the brunt of it, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I know that, um, one of the shows you did talk, talked a lot about like reservation, like suicides and you kind of had a very native theme going on for a while talking about yeah. all of that stuff. And was that spawned from this childhood experience, like dealing with these allies and understanding a, a place that you weren't necessarily sitting in? Yeah. Well, that I, I've always had like a really um, soft spot for for my native people um, uh, because, like, growing up, like, um, with my with all my Navajo friends, like, it was just really evident, like, the difference of of my life and theirs, and it was like it was. Like at the at the time, like I didn't really understand like how drastically different it was. But like these kids didn't even have like working telephones at their houses. They didn't have running water. And um, like as I grew, like as I got older, like the 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 reality of those of those situations started to sink in more and more. That like like when I moved to California, like nobody had any idea about the strife of like the natives on reservations. And it, it made, it made me really upset that these people were going through this life without anybody even recognizing it. And still to this day, like people are just completely oblivious to the strife of natives. Like currently in 2014, there, there are people living on reservations that are like third world countries. And so I, I had the opportunity with um, the SF MoMA Artist Gallery. They, they gave me um, a bunch of, of space to work with. And with each opportunity I have, I try to put like, I try to put like an emphasis on whatever's on my mind at the time. And at that point, I was thinking a lot about native suicide um, because the second leading um, cause of death with um, native youth is suicide. And when I heard that statistic, it just like, it broke my heart. So I, I used like the space at, at SF MoMA to, to try to, to bring attention towards that. And so I did this really large, it's like the largest painting I've ever done legally. Um, it was 70 feet long and it was directly addressing that issue. And then I did a another piece on the the opposite side of the of the exhibition that was um, about the exploitation of native um, imagery because uh, that that's just really prevalent, especially recently in the last few years. Like, there's been this trend of like white people rocking these native um, patterns and designs that they get like at Urban Outfitters or wherever, and there's no none of that money is going to the tribes that it, the, the imagery is being stolen from and and those people are completely oblivious about the tribes and about the life of the tribes and about like 
Uh, yeah, it's still a real soft spot to me because uh, there's so much that there's so much that needs to like be done within our own country. But I heard that there was a, a um, there people are asking the the Redskins to change their name. And that when I heard that story, I, that made me really happy. Like that, I mean, that could be a small victory. I heard there was like commentators that won't even say the that that team's name because it's racist. Finally, like right, <laughs> it's so infuriating. Like, uh, and and I don't understand why it's so it's it's still so blatantly racist and blatantly just overlooked. Gentrification conversation is always strange because generally it's white people talking about it, um, you know, and then a lot of times like these white people are talking about stopping gentrification, but it's like generally it's they're talking about stopping gentrification in the neighborhoods that they're gentrifying. Um, but also I have like this weird, I have this like, beef with gentrification as well because um when i move into neighborhoods be it like a mexican neighborhood or a black neighborhood um i feel like i get looked at as a gentrifier but i'm not a i'm not a rich white person moving into these neighborhoods um and buying it and trying to flip it like which i what i think gentrification is i'm a poor white person moving into poor neighborhoods because I can't afford to move into wealthy neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to, so it's weird. Like, I feel like I get bulked into like the gentrification conversation because of my, my skin color. And I think that that's a way of keeping um, the, the poor community segregated, mm. which, which um, mm -hmm. is, it's been, it's been the goal of the government to keep the poor white and the poor black communities separated because if we were to come together, that we could cause a lot of change. Mm. And so people get, people see white people moving into the neighborhood, like into poor neighborhoods and they don't see them as other poor people. They see them as a threat. And that's like, I, I think that we need to start changing the conversation to like working together mm. as you know, because I'm not a baller, you know, um, I'm nowhere close to being a baller. Um, and if I were to be, I would do everything I could to help with whatever money I would accumulate. But the gentrification conversation has to change. It needs to change from, um, from a separatist conversation, which is wanted, to like, what can we do together as poor people? And I don't know how to get to the bottom of that because I, I moved over here. I like, I live in Beacon, New York right now. And I moved here from Newburgh, New York, which is 
one of the like it's one of the scariest places I've lived and um it was just extreme poverty extreme just a lot of depression there it was really sad but there's a lot of white people there talking about changing it and making it better but in those conversations they weren't including the community that was already there but there was like this one organization that I started trying like kind of talking with and they invited me to this Newburgh um, party about like the Newburgh art community and the Newburgh community and I went to it and it pissed me off because it was all white people and there was no there was none of the community that they were talking about incorporating there and I was just like no this is bullshit this is not this is not what I want Newburgh to be I would like to see Newburgh turn into something with the community that it already has and and save that and and work with those people and try to to give them better programs and give them better things so they can have a better quality of life instead of just sweeping it out from underneath them pushing them and and hoping that they find somewhere else or not, I don't know um, a lot of times like I don't I think people are really irresponsible with 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 the way that they're talking about community um, and I I think that my my childhood like really informs me on that you know what i mean because i came up watching racism happen in my in front of my face and so i'm very sensitive to it and i can i can smell it i can smell it out real quick you know and a lot of times people are having racist conversations without even really knowing that they are but a lot of people especially like when we live in cities, we live in kind of bubbles that, that we're not really exposed to the blatant racism and the blatant like sexism that is going on in like a bulk of our country, you know? So we live in these little bubbles and we're like, no, everything's good. Like people are equal and people have rights. And um, it's just not really, we're not, we're not anywhere close to that, sadly enough. Um, a lot of our country is really still stuck in these like 1950s like states of minds where where you know everybody stays in their place recent show you did on the prison industrial complex is an old problem in America and it seems to yeah. only be getting worse and I know you went all in on this show from what I've read and seen and would you like to talk a little bit about your experience like kind of from the beginning and through it I did it I've done two expositions now um or expositions about the prison industrial complex um this idea has been growing for years now. Um, it stemmed from probably like maybe even like just from like being a teenager, like getting fucked with by the police all the time. Like it was always just super frustrating. And like um, I've been illegally searched like more times than I can count and like put in handcuffs and been in the back of squad cars more times than I can count. And then <laughs> 
it's a trip. I've only been to jail twice, but I can guarantee you that if I was a minority, I would have been in there like, like hundreds of times, you know, um, just because of the statistics, like the, um, and so that frustration, especially like when I finally did go into the, the jail system and see what it was like, um, I was just overwhelmed. I, was, I couldn't believe the, the way that I was treated when I was in jail. It, it was just sickening. And I, I, I felt like I was an animal and, and treated with the same respect that an animal might get treated. So it just slowly started building and building. Um, and then a good friend of mine got incarcerated. Um, I'd already been working on some imagery and like the concept at that point. But when one of my best friends got incarcerated, it just really expedited the the thought, and um, it put it in the forefront of thought for me. And um, there's so much to talk about within the system that I I don't see this conversation ending anytime soon. Like I I I've done tons of reading and research and watched a lot of documentaries about the and. The ones I'm I'm trying to narrow it down because there there is so many things to talk about, but I I think that one of the one of the most important things that needs to change quickly is the amount of people that are mentally ill that are incarcerated, and it's an overwhelming amount of people in there that that are schizophrenic or that have like the this disorder or that, you know. And it's just, it doesn't make any sense to have these people incarcerated. Um, they need care and they need pills. And they don't need to be um, thrown into these like really volatile, violent um, rooms, you know, um, overcrowded too. And and in, I think it was Colorado, they were throwing, they were notorious for throwing schizophrenic people into solitary confinement which is one of the, the cruelest things that you can do to somebody because um, solitary confinement will actually trigger schizophrenia in people. Um, and it'll, it'll trigger other disorders in people and, and cause people to, to become psychotic. Um, it's, it's cruel. And that's another thing that need, that needs to be addressed is, is the solitary confinement. I think that that really needs to be, eliminated from from our vocabulary and dealing with um, incarceration those are my kind of like the 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 two topics i'm i'm attacking the most the big overlying or maybe underlying um issue is also just racism like the the numbers just don't make sense like like and people people believe that minorities um do more crime because of the because of the numbers of people in jail and it's not that's not the case white people do just as many crimes as any other race on the planet but they're not being they're not being profiled they're not they're there aren't police like raiding the suburbs like every half an hour you know they're they're going to the to the lower income like poor neighborhoods with minorities and with with like people that have been going through this for generations that won't stand up that that know that they they can't stand up for themselves or they'll face further incarceration 
and they don't have like the means to get proper um, proper uh, defense. You know, they they can't afford a lawyer. They can't. They they'll get stuck with like being in the system with a rap sheet and and just go through the motion. So those are like <laughs> some of like a few of the things that I'm trying to discuss and bring bring attention to because there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about, you know. I use um, I use animals intentionally as metaphor um, because I base a lot of my my philosophy and art theory from George Orwell in his book 1984, The Hope Is in the Proletariats, and I talk about this a lot because we we really need to like um, come together as a as a people as a as like a underclass you know as the 99 percent you know um and so i use animals to try to speak to a, a broader um um audience um because once you start using um human imagery you're automatically alienating people because there's there's gender and race and whatever other stereotypes involved with it so i use i use animals to try to to try to include everybody in the conversation and i do use a lot of metaphor so i try not to abstract it too much um because if i abstract it too much it's going to alienate the people i'm trying to talk to um so i i use i use a lot of like old english script which is kind of like across the board like understandable um and the the animals because everybody has their own identification with each animal you know and so there's something relatable within my work i hope that's that's my goal is to just bring in people through relatable imagery and make it interesting and not abstract it too much so they'll come in and have a conversation and it's worked really well i've gotten a lot of people to stop even when i would do like illegal street work um, in San Francisco, I would have people stopping and talking to me about the imagery that otherwise, like, probably would have just dismissed it, you know? Um, I had an Oakland police officer, like, um, compliment me on one of the posters I had just put up <laughs> illegally on a building because uh, I was lying to him about what it was about like, or what it was, like, intended for. You know, oh, this is just an advertisement. He's like, oh, that's okay awesome. you didn't know what to do with it you know like you didn't know how to like process it it was like because i i was so shook because it was this giant poster it was like i was doing these buffaloes at the time it was like this buffalo with the world war ii bomber head and um i had just finished it and i saw this fucking cop coming up i was like yeah and he was gonna do a u-turn to come around to me because he didn't have his he didn't have his lights on yet, and I was like, "Fuck, I'm gonna get arrested." So I went and jumped in my van, and I had this photographer with me, and um, and sure enough, he like swooped around, and then like I had taken off and took him a right, and he like swooped up behind me and pulled me over. I was like, "Fuck," um, <laughs> I was like, "I'm going to jail." Um, so I was telling the photographer kid because he's like his young kid. I was like, "All right, I just picked you up." I just, you didn't know, you don't know what the fuck is going on because I didn't want him to get, go to jail too. And, um, but the cop came up and he was like, hey, 
So, and I was like, oh, yeah, I was just putting up this advertisement um, for the show. And, like, the cop was so confused. Um, <laughs> and um, he was talking about the owner. I was like, well, if they're supposed to put post no bills if they don't want advertisements up on it. And um, he was, he just bought it all. And, like, he, he was like, I'll, I'll be right back. And, like, he went to his, to his squad car and, like, came back later. And he was just like. So you shouldn't put things on that building. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I'm sorry. And then he then he complimented me on the drawing though. It was a trip. Well, like after all that, like he was like, I really like that drawing. Like it just, I was like, whoa, thank you, officer. Like weird. <laughs> Never had a cop compliment me on shit ever. There was a couple of those, or at least one of those buffaloes that stayed up for a while. Out. Yeah, that that was a trip. Um, like I had a, I had a, the one in Berkeley that was like caddy. It was on Telegraph. Oh yeah, that one would run for like months. Telegraph and, like, and Ashby, right there. Yeah, yeah, they would like buff around it and everything. Like they like the community like really came around that and they they supported it and loved it and that was like a weird turning point for me because I. Um, that was like when I had the realization that people were coming into the conversation more, you know, and the community that I was putting illegal work in, like was actually beginning to accept it and, and, and celebrate it, you know? So it was, it meant a lot to me and um, it was very inspiring to me, like as a vandal, you know, like yeah. that, that the people are, are getting it now, you know, and starting to, to pay attention, you know. I had actually one that went up in um, San Francisco. It was in the dog patch. I don't know if you know where that is. but um, Yeah, yeah. So I put it up. It was on a dope spot right on 3rd. And um, I went by, like, I had to drive past it. Like, I, I flicked it. But then I went by a different time for this photo shoot. And um, they had put plastic over all of it. And I was like, what? like, what the hell is that about, you know? And then um, I got an email and it said that the subject was the poster you put on my building. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> I'm going to jail. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to go to jail through email, you know? Like, but it was, it was a trip. Like, it was the building owner. And... Um, he had had his contractors put plastic over it to preserve it. And um, they took the wood after they were done with construction and they put it in the lobby of his new building. The guy was like so down for it that he was actually fighting um, in court about it. Um, because if you have vandalism, you have to clean it within a certain amount of days or you get fined. Oh. And he he went, he refused to clean it, so he was fighting for my shit in court. I was like, weird. This is a weird fucking life now. <laughs> Such a trip. But he got a free like Jesse Hazlip original. I was like, <laughs> like, hey, you want to like pay me for that? <laughs> yeah. Right.
My son's name is Kingston. He's gonna turn five in May coming up. He's uh he's amazing. Like he um he's straight up my hero. I tell him that like constantly. Like he I was never the type of guy that I thought would have a kid. Um of all my friends, I thought I would be like the last person to have a kid, like and probably never have a child. Um so I was taken really like off guard with it, you know. It was he wasn't planned or anything. Um but when when um his mom got pregnant, um which is like, okay, this is it. This is, we're gonna do this, you know. And um it's it's been a trip. Like he he's definitely like the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um and he a lot of people were kind of like wondering if my art would change or become more like whimsical or uh, maybe just like cartoony or happy or whatever. But for me, I felt like it only like um, made me more adamant about trying to, to make a better world for him, mm. you know, and make for him and in, in, in his generation, you know, and that I'm not going to stop being like revolutionary now because I have a child. And if anything, it's more important to, to be revolutionary um, for our children, um, making making this world into a world that like they're going to be happy and not not oppressed, and not not having to like live in live in lies or in shame, you know, um, or in fear, you know, because I like I grew up like scared to death of the police, and I still have to live in that. And he's like. Without, like, without, I try not to, like, push shit on him at all. Like, I don't, I'm not going to push any religion. I don't even try to push art on him, you know? I, I want his experience to be his. And without me pushing anything on him, he has already expressed being scared of police. That wasn't from me because I refuse, I refuse to, like, push that on him. But he would, he would talk about, like, oh, the police are going to put me in a cage. And I'm like, where did you hear that? You know, like, where did that come from? And so we just throw rocks at cops when we see them now. You know, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good father-son bonding time. Fuck the police. (laughs) No, no. No, I would even tell him, like, I'm, like, very honest with them. I won't lie to him because he would be like, so are the police, like, are the police going to get me? I was like, no. I was like, Kingston, at your age... If you were to go to a police officer, he would help you. Because that's true, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, a police officer would most likely help a four-year-old. Um, but I'm not, I haven't had the conversation, like, yet about, like, I'm going to teach him all of his rights, you know? Because, like, nobody did that with me, you know? Nobody set me down and taught me my rights about, like, being searched or illegally like searched and questioned and and held against my will, you know, like, and so I'm going to have those conversations with as he gets older, you know, Um, and hopefully he won't have to be exposed to like what I did growing up, you know, like hopefully, hopefully he won't be as angry as I was (laughs) because like hopefully he'll get the love and the, and the attention that, that he needs to not be this angry little dude, you know, but it's crazy, man. They're going to be living a whole different world. He's already talking to me about like downloading apps and like, <laughs> it's like, you're not even five, man. How do you know what download is? 
<laughs> I know. It's really I scary. <laughs> I didn't know what download it was until I was in my 20s. Yeah. We, I mean, we were, we were raised in a different universe than they are, you know. It's fucking crazy. It's, it's, it's shifting and it's changing. And I think that you're smart to like make him aware of his rights as a human being because yeah. it's not going to be the same yeah. Very soon, I feel. Yeah. I hate to be conspiracy well, I mean, theorist, but Well, already here like I mean, they have the they they let you know constantly they have the right to search you whenever they want. Yeah. And that's like I mean, they'll have like cops stationed at the the at the subway stations and they can just pick whoever they want out of the crowd and search them whenever they want, which is against our constitution. Like that completely goes against our constitutional rights. And they just surpassed that probably through the Patriot Act. They can do that whenever. And that, that ha you see that a lot more in New York because like of 9-11, you know, and everybody here is very prideful about that. And, um, and so the cops throw around their weight here a lot. Um, there's a lot of insanity here. <laughs> um, like police police brutality and like um just unlawful jailings um I, i've heard some horror stories about rikers island that's going to be like another i'm i don't know i have some plans about trying to do a, a project based around like saving rikers island because it's it's really it's a it's in a sad state there and it's just weird I, you have these like kind of ideals of what like new york city is like and they're just kind of shattered when you're in the the reality of it. Because like Rikers Island, like the like there's like leaks in the roof, so there'll be like prisoners like with flooded cells and like that like aren't being fed and and um, it's just it's insane there. And just the violence there is just sounds so scary. That that sounds like one of the scariest places. And that that's uh, I'd, I'd want there to be some change done there. Yeah, I don't know how he went from a four-year-old to Rikers Island. <laughs> <laughs> matter what it'll be i'm kind of like like a superhero i'll always be fighting for for you yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm always gonna be fighting um until there's nothing left to fight for you know um, thank you thank you jesse because <laughs> that's the only way i know how to deal um with with these issues that come up you know like it, it's therapy for me you know like because i feel like i see these things that need to be something needs to be done about. And so uh, I just have to like get it out of my system by making art about it. Um, or else I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have this outlet, you know, it would, I would, I would probably be in prison, like locked up in a schizophrenic, like solitary confinement. So, you know, like, so yeah, I'm just, um, art project wise, I'm really, I'm still very inspired by this, this project, the, the, the prison, the prison, because a lot more opportunities have kind of opened up from it. Um, 
this next week I'm going to go meet with the, the Philadelphia um, mural arts program and they work with um, lifers. Um, they, they do these mural projects with prisoners. Um, so I'm going to go get like a tour of the facilities and meet like a lot of these prisoners that are working on these mural projects. Uh, I don't know what's going to come out of it, but it's really exciting. And Sounds there's a few other, other things that, that keep coming up in conversation and um, opportunities. Like uh, I really want to try to get in with, with working with, um, with prisoners and also working with, I would like to work with young kids, like young offenders. That would be like a dream of mine is to work with young offenders. So you'll, you'll be expecting to see more about this, this, this project coming out. What advice do you have for like young young folks who are interested in art who might be listening to this out on the internet you know um, yeah yeah what, um, what words you got i actually just had a good practice session of this kind of thing because I, I had this this um studio art majors group from this college um in brooklyn come through and they asked me a like a similar question and i think that that people need to choose their path um it, and it's either, I think it's either commercial or it's going to be art. And I, I don't, I'm not gonna, I, I don't try to like say commercial in like a, a negative sense. If that's your, if that's your drive or that's your passion, then go for it and do that. But a lot of people try to mix the two and I just don't think it's very successful. Um, I would say choose one or the other. The commercial route will probably be a lot more fiscally um, rewarding and but just stay true to your visions like that's like my number one rule for all artists is like if you have a vision stay true it stay true to it and don't like sacrifice your integrity for anything because you will feel cheap and you will feel sick because that's that's how i felt when i when i would do these commercial jobs um that would that would be just kind of using me as a wrist that's what they call it in, in the yeah, like the artists are just supposed to be the wrist. And I don't, I'm not a good wrist, <laughs> but I'm a fucking shithead and I hate art directors generally. And so I, I chose the path of, of, of just making art. And it's a, for people that are going that direction, I would just say have faith in your art to provide and, and work for it. And you just have to have that faith. And it's going to be a, a long road. <laughs> like <laughs> anybody that thinks that art is a get rich quick, like path is you're, you're fooling yourself. Not in, not today. It's, it's a different world now. And I have been living very frugally for as long as I can remember, but I love it. You know, I don't mind. I don't mind being broke. Cause I'm good at it. That's like what I <laughs> remind myself is like, fuck it. I'm good at this shit, you know? Um, and I, I, but I do make, I do make a living off of my art. And, and so I live a much happier life than, than if I was half in, you know, um, I'm fully in, I fully dedicated myself to it and I'm a lot happier now, you know? So that's, I, I think that's the best advice. Just stay true to your vision. If, that, if your vision is commercial, then don't be, don't be shy about it. Just do it, you know? 
if your vision is is more gallery fine art based then stay true to it and do whatever you have to do to to make it you know yeah i was talking to like one of my best friends he's a he's the same shit he's a street artist and like um we both do the same shit and and it, we're just like, man, this is because sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it's really fucking hard. And like, we're working so hard. Like, because I don't like, I don't clock out. You know what I mean? I don't have like, like, I'm just, and it's hard to like really relate with most people because like, I just constantly work. Like, yeah. when I'm at any spare time that I have, like, I'm working and, so it's hard to like kind of like relate with people because like or even with my ex like i'll i'll be like talking about working all weekend like because i'll work when my kids here like the whole time like um or like at nights like and um she'd be like well don't you work during the week i'm like no i work always <laughs> like, <laughs> i constantly i do not stop i i never there's never like a break and we even like used to butt heads about like preparing for retirement. And I was like, um, I will never retire. Like I am gonna like I'm gonna work until I die. Like, and if I don't, I will be miserable. Like it's not like, oh yeah, I'm gonna stop art at like 65. It's like, no, I'm gonna work until my hands fall off. And when my hands fall off, I'm gonna paint with my feet. And if my feet fall off, I'll paint with my mouth. And then I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> Do you have love for mankind? Do you have love for mankind?
Thank you.